is a blue. You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Good evening and welcome to In Conversation. And this week's guest is... Jason Kerr, the first team coach of Somerset County Cricket Club. Good afternoon, Jason. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. It's great to have you on. Um, you've been on before, but perhaps not in the same guise as we are today. So um, we're going to talk about your career, really, and, and you know how you've reached the, the dizzy heights of Somerset coach for the last four or five years now. So you, you must be doing well staying there and that sort of a job, high pressure and everything. Um, it shouldn't take too long, then. Um, you were born in 1974 in Manchester so my first question has to be how did you end up playing for Somerset well I was I was incredibly fortunate I guess in some respects I was because I played for Lancashire through the age groups Mm -hmm. uh, and played a second team game at Taunton in 1991 when Andy Caddick was qualifying yeah so I don't know if you recall it was the year that Caddick got 95 second team wickets in Really, eight games, nine games, something ridiculous. Um, so I played in Taunton, and then in that winter, I was on an England under 17 trial. So it used to be at Lillishaw, that was the national centre then. Um, and over that weekend, we had England training with us. So there's quite a few coaches around. They were preparing to go to the West Indies, I think it was. Uh, and there was a coach there from Yorkshire, actually, who wanted to take me to Yorkshire. Yeah. And at that time, you never went across the Pennines. You know, it just it was unheard of, and I wasn't sure what to do. And over the over the course of that weekend, making a couple of phone calls, uh, a guy called Jim Kenyon, who used to work in football and cricket, and uh, was heavily involved in sport in the northwest of England, um, phoned me up and said, "A friend of his had taken over as coach at Somerset. Are you interested in going to Somerset?" <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, and a long story short, is that is it in essence? Is that I came down the next weekend. Um, had a net in the old indoor school that used to be under the cinema seats or behind where the Somerset Pavilion is now, or yeah. the Marcus, Trisc- Marcus Triscothic Pavilion, as it's now known, um, and signed a contract that weekend to play for Somerset. Well, quite simple then, really. Um, and was like, okay, so yeah, and I think now you know I've got a 15, 15-year-old daughter, and in a year and a half time, because I basically signed the contract when I was 17, and left home like that. It was um, so I look back on it. And it <laughs> I'm not sure what my parents felt about it at the time, but so yeah, maybe good riddance, I think. But one, yeah, one day you were there, the next minute you were gone, kind of thing. Yeah, literally. I mean, the club were brilliant. They offered me a contract and then said I could start. I was currently I was at college in Bolton uh, doing business and finance, 
um, and were happy for me to join after when that had concluded. Uh, and I decided actually I wanted to play cricket. So uh, the head of the head of year, the tutor, uh, was quite happy to keep my place open on the course. Uh, and so that was it. I had left and came down in the March of 1992. Well, let's go back a bit, Jason. And, you know, how did you first get involved in cricket? I mean, you know, I do lots of these interviews with footballers and they usually sort of start playing junior football. Did you start playing junior cricket? Yeah, I did. I was, you know, my father was a really good sportsman. I uh, played a lot of hockey, cricket, uh, football, um, but was one of the, you know, better league players uh, from a cricket point of view, incredibly talented hockey player. Um, and so I used to go to all sports, but we lived, I was incredibly fortunate again in the fact we lived, or initially we lived about a mile away from my local cricket club, uh, which was Tong Cricket Club in the Bolton League, mm-hmm. uh, up in the northwest of um, just, you know, of Manchester. Um, and when I was probably, well, I don't know, maybe five, six, maybe a little bit older, uh, we moved to 100 yards away from the cricket club. Right. Um, so my whole childhood, basically, especially in the summer, was spent at the cricket club. But uh, th- those uh, northern teams, especially sort of Lancashire League teams and that, they're quite strong, aren't they? I mean, they're, 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 you know, they're not... You couldn't compare a northern team with, say, North Perrot, for example, because they were, they were much more professional, weren't they, in those days? Or still uh, are. Yeah. I mean, my perception definitely at the time was that, um, I mean, you had two professionals, so you had overseas players. Um, so, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you had Mark Taylor, Mark Waugh, Steve Waugh, uh, some of the great West Indians playing in the league. Um, so at the weekend, you'd play against someone who'd played Test cricket or was certainly involved in Test cricket at that time. Matthew Hayden played when I was growing up. Um, so it was incredibly competitive cricket and they practiced, you know, we practiced two or three times a week. Um but it was my my whole child was there, as I say. So in the evenings, whether it was age group practices, first team squads, so I'd practice literally every evening. I'd be at the cricket club, uh, and then play incredibly competitive cricket the weekend, where you'd cop a lot of abuse from the senior pros uh, week in week out. So it was a good breeding ground in that sense. Well, it sounds like it wasn't. I mean, to have that many sort of either future or current Test players around you, whether it be for you know Australia or. South Africa or whoever it might be. I mean, it must have must have made a, a big uh, impression on you in terms of your, your whole character and your your attitude towards cricket. Yeah, definitely. It was, as I say, it was a great breeding ground. It shaped me as a person. Um, there's no doubt. Because, again, you were playing with international cricketers. You know, the pros got paid heavily. Uh, so they had huge responsibility. Um, and you learn from them. But also just that it was really competitive. Uh, you know, you wouldn't get away with some of the antics that, you know, certainly happened then and certainly wouldn't get away with it now. But um, in terms of, I, you know, it was distinct. I remember playing a first league game down here when I signed for Somerset. I was just affiliated to a club. Um, and I couldn't believe how social the cricket was, uh, how friendly the guys were. Yeah, it was like yeah. it was a completely different environment. Um, and that, that did shock me, um, what I was used to week in, week out, certainly in the Bolton League. What can you remember about your your debut game for Somerset then? Uh, quite a lot, actually. I mean, I made my first class debut against Australia. Um, the touring team, you know, of 93 that was. So it was the year Shane Warne announced himself to the world. Um, it was the game before the first test. So they played a full-strength side and it was incredibly competitive. Um, you know, some of the greats of the game. Alan Border was captain. Uh, you know, someone I had watched for years. Um, Steve Wall, my one of my heroes. Um, so I was playing against him, uh, and a game where Van Troost bowled quick. Uh, Caddick played in the game, 
Um, and my first runs in first class cricket were off Shane Warne. Yeah. Um, I was trying to hit it through mid wicket. It went through point, so obviously played him well. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so again, these you know incredibly fond memories to look back and you know I got three for seventy I think in the game. Um, Michael Slater, David Boone, and Craig McDermott were my first three wickets in first class cricket. So you know to get David Boone, it was caught uh, square leg off Keith Parsons caught it, but. Um, you know, so it wasn't exactly my best ball, but maybe it was a sign of things to come. But, you know, nevertheless, it was still David Boone as my first first-class wicket. Well, as I'm sure you say and we say at North Parent, look in the book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, know, it's just, you don't worry about that. That's put point in time. So, uh, and how many runs did you get in that game? Uh, it was only 10. Uh, in teens, it was. I think about 15. Mm. Um, something like that. I remember getting caught deep mid-on trying to hit Tim May into the river. Um and uh, it ultimately, I think we drew the game. There was a bit of inclement weather around, funny enough. Um, but yeah, not many. Um, but unbelievable experience looking back now. Copped a lot of abuse. I remember David Boone was at short leg. He, um, yeah, it was a bit of a baptism of fire, let's say. He wasn't trying coming forward. <laughs> okay, time for some music now. And Jason's first musical choice is Drops of Jupiter by a band called Train. Imagine no 
Drops of Jupiter by Train. So having had a you know a baptism of fire, you might say, against the Australians, how did your, your first sort of counter-championship game go? Uh, that is a good question. So I think my recollection was Essex at Chelmsford. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that year, I made my debut against Australia. Then I played against Glamorgan Essex. I think I played four or five games and managed to get 15 wickets. At not very many. I actually started quite well. Um and if I remember playing against Glamorgan here, and I can't remember the order of them, ironically, but I know I played against Glamorgan because it was one of Viv's last games. So unbelievable experience in that he got a standing ovation to the wicket. Um, and a standing ovation when he left the ground, he got 50, I think, or 53, something like that. And again, I was fortunate to get Viv out in that game. So it's an incredibly fond memory. Um, but I can remember just... It was, it was tinged with, like, I was desperate, obviously, to play and do well. But as a young player, I was a batter. And mm. I bowled a little bit. And my time at Somerset, certainly my first year, I bowled a lot of overs in second-team cricket in 1992. Um, and a natural adaptation happened where the year after, I was bowling a lot quicker. I was a lot better bowler. And suddenly, I found myself batting at 10 in the first team and bowling. Um, and so it was tinged with a little bit of, I guess, frustration. Uh, at the time, because actually I wanted to be a genuine all-rounder. I wanted to bat more so than I did bowl at the time. Um, and as a young player, I didn't say anything to anyone. You're just, again, fortunate. Hmm. Uh, you know, a little bit of foster syndrome for myself is that I was a little bit fortunate that I was playing. So especially, you know, the likes of Caddick and uh, the source at the time. Chris Tavare was captain. It was, you know, a very different team back then. Um, but they were incredibly fond memories as well. Who who else was in the team at uh, you know at that time, in the Somerset team? Uh, so that, yeah, that time you had Harvey Trump uh, as a spinner, Mark Lathwell. We had Mushtaq Ahmed as all Mushtaq Ahmed as overseas. Um, Graham Rolls, Neil Burns was the wicketkeeper then. Andrew Hayes was captain. You know, it's just yeah. I mean, you have, my association is obviously with the club's very long now, but you know, I just there's bits where you know I couldn't you know Mark Lathwell was making his way in the game. Um, who else? I know that year '93 saw Keith Parsons and Marcus made their debuts through that year. Cool, Marcus. Um, Marcus, I think, made his debut then. God, that's going by. Yeah, so in '93, he made his debut against Pakistan, I think it was. Yeah, um, 
Or was it Lancashire? It might have been Lancashire, actually. Heath was against Pakistan. Um, yeah. But he did all right for himself, didn't he? Oh, just, <laughs> just a pretty average day-to-day cricketer, really, wasn't he? But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, no, it's incredible, really, when you, when you look back on it. But, I mean, looking at uh, Wikipedia, which is never the most accurate uh, source of information, um, according to this... Uh, your batting average was 21.98. But what? forgive my ignorance, but they've got FC and LA. What's the difference? Do you know what that means? Well, first, first class cricket is four-day cricket. Oh, right. And so that's that's first class. Yeah. yeah. And so LA is, what, one-day cricket and, and cups? Yeah, it was and, 50 over then, yeah. 60 yeah. over comp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, t- time moved on. And, I mean, I, I you know, I must have come into your life because I can remember seeing you up at... Uh, up at Parrot for the old second eleven games, and you know yeah. they they were always a a huge motivation for us up there. Tom used to get so worked up about it; it had to be absolute perfection for you guys coming up there. But um, but, but I mean, you know, to 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 progress to become on the coaching staff there, you must have enjoyed that, uh, you know, quite a bit from the point of view that it was a it was a testament to your ability as a coach and also a cricketer. Yeah, I think I quite, uh, you know, a lot of frustration. I look back, I've got no regrets. I think it's important, um, you know, especially, you know, I've managed to be a pro for 12 years and I've got no regrets from a cricket point of view, but I certainly didn't fulfil my potential. I had a lot of injuries, underachieved massively as a cricketer. And I think a lot of that was down to me as a character and lacking belief, a lot of insecurities as a cricketer that, and the environments weren't conducive for players of that ilk you didn't get the support that's around these days mm. um, and that's not criticism at all it's just a reflection of the time the senior players were you know, coaching in those days they were incredibly supportive and it was a different kind of education as a cricketer and I think all those experiences for me have helped shape me as a coach um, and I think when I you know I came back to the club in 2005 and took over the academy and the second team 2006 particularly um, and those experiences I had as a player definitely shaped the, the infancy of as me as a coach. Yeah. Um, and I can remember Greg, uh, Brian Rose was brilliant in 2006. I was like, oh, sorry, it's 2005 when I first came back and just did the second team. He gave me free reign. He was like, look, you know, I want you to take the second team. And I was like, great, but I want to do it on my own way. But, yeah. you know, I'd have a lot of experiences of second team environment, first team environments, what I felt were good influences in the environments and poor influences. Um, and he gave me that autonomy for six months. Uh, and we were making, so that was sort of on a self-employed basis where at the end of that term, he was going to make a decision whether I could stay at the club or move on. Um, and obviously he made a decision for me to stay, was impressed with how I'd managed the second team through that year and I took the academy and so you could then you know I went on a journey of discovering myself as a coach as opposed to a player yeah um, and I found it incredibly rewarding when you can help players mm. in whatever size or capacity that is uh, it was a completely different feeling to playing but equally as rewarding um, yeah. uh, and probably more so for myself um, that actually on this journey that you know if you look at some of the academy graduates that have come through um, and are now representing the club, um, and the way they represent the club, it's in, you know incredibly rewarding for myself and everyone else that influenced them along the way. You, you did though have a break in that you went back to, to play for Derbyshire in two thousand and two. What, what what happened there? Why did you why did you leave and come back? Yeah, I got I got incredibly frustrated. Um, there's a couple of things that happened, uh, you know, where players are incredibly. Um, 
I guess, ruthless, selfish. You know, they're incredibly ambitious and rightly so. They want to achieve things in the game. And every player feels they deserve the opportunity. But there's, you know, a couple of things happened pre-season that year. Um, and I lost a little bit of faith in the direction of the cricket. Um, and then put in some strong performances that year. Um, but didn't feel I was going anywhere. And I really wanted to, I wanted to be an all-rounder. And I wanted to test myself. And there was an opportunity that came up. And my first year at Derby, actually, I did really well. I averaged 20-odd with a ball, 30-odd with a bat, um, and started to fulfil a little bit of that promise where I felt I'd underachieved. Yeah. And it was through opportunity, you know. Derby at the time weren't as strong a side as Somerset. Um, and so I needed to find out for myself as a cricketer, actually, how good I could be. Um, I had a really good training ethic, and I needed to transfer that, um, and it, you know, and so there's a couple of things that happened where I thought, actually, right, it's time for me to find out. Um, and it is, you know, I don't regret it in some respect. Unfortunately, I got injured through that time. Um, and I retired. It gave me the opportunity to retire and it gave me time to think about what my future looked like. Uh, so to retire at 29 um, is incredibly frustrating, but it was certainly the right thing to do because I wasn't fulfilling what I wanted to achieve as a cricketer. Um mm. And so it was a really tough decision. This had become my home. Um, you know, I've spent more time in the southwest than I have certainly uh, up north. Uh, and I felt that the club had adopted me as one of their own. Uh, it took me a long time to get to that point. We know that they're incredibly supportive of homegrown talent, uh, and rightly so. But it took me a long time, if you like, to get to that uh, to get to that stage. Um, but I just felt that from a cricketing point of view. I needed to find out how good I could be as a cricketer. And that first year at Derbyshire, I made some significant contributions for helping us win some games, uh, both in list day cricket and four-day cricket. Uh, but towards the back end of that year, I felt something in my shoulder. Um, and I had surgery at the end of that, 2002, that would have been. Uh, so 2003, I didn't play any cricket. Uh, I played a lot in the second team, scored heavily, but didn't get an opportunity just as a batter. Um, and so I made the decision to retire when, you know, I was averaging 95, I think, in the second team with a bat. And we played South Africa in a touring game. And there was another guy, you know, a very good player, but was having a poor year. Was averaging 20 in the second team and he got an opportunity to play. And I didn't. So I decided that uh, enough was enough. Uh, Derbyshire offered me a two-year deal to stay if I could prove my fitness. Uh, but I just, I'd fallen out of love with the game and... More so, my battles from an injury point of view to keep getting fit. Mm. I never played where I felt I was at a hundred percent, and as I wasn't going to fulfil my potential in that way, so I thought actually it's time to take a different career path, um, and made the decision to retire. More music now. This time it's the Goo Goo Girls and Iris. I'm 
everything feels like the movies Yeah, you bleed just to know you're alive And I don't want the world to see me Cause I don't think they'd understand When everything's made to be broken I just want you to know Google Girls and Iris. So, so looking looking back on your, your time up to this point uh, at Somerset, how much of an influence would you say the the upbringing that you had in the, in the northern you know in the Lancashire League games uh, as a youngster came to the fore there? I mean, did you did you find it a a, 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 a suitable background and and benefit to you? I think I'm the kind of person now. I think you you you're a product of your environment. Um, so I think inevitably every experience you have shapes you as a character if you're open to that learning um, and for myself I'm someone who's incredibly I guess ambitious I want to be the best version of myself but ultimately here I want to create an environment that allows the players to be the best they can be um, yeah. and they've got to make those choices so there's no doubt that the, the ruthlessness of playing in the Bolton League uh, being around 
senior guys, guys much older than you that you don't realise at the time. They're influencing you all the time. And as I say, that's the bit you're not aware of as a young player, but it definitely shapes you. And then I think as you mature as a, certainly within sporting environments, you start to recognise that people that are going to influence you in a positive way and people that are going to influence you in a negative way. And all those experiences shape you. Um, and I've got no doubts that probably looking back now, there's more influence in how I go about coaching and trying to create an environment and shape people and help them. Um, it's more of an influence on that than as a cricketer. I think I was very naive as a cricketer um, and certainly didn't make the most of the opportunities that were afforded me at the time. So you're back at Somerset now, albeit that you've retired from playing. Um, how did you end up coming back to Somerset? Was it just the sort of the love of the West Country? Or was there more to it than that? Um, so when I retired, I moved back here because uh, this was home. My house was here, family, friends, um, by, by my parents who were still up north. And so I was like, this this was home. So it was automatic if it had come this way. And I, to be honest, I wasn't sure. I was fortunate in a sense my contract had quite a few months to run. So there was no sense of urgency. Um, and I was, I'm quite a philosophical character, but I wanted to do something that I enjoyed. Uh, but I wasn't sure what that was. So I went into the financial services, actually. I worked for a mortgage company for a few months mm-hmm. um, and did my CMAC qualifications. Uh, for the first few, three months, really enjoyed that. Different people, different environment, completely different experiences again. Um, and then just as I was sort of realising actually being behind a desk isn't for me, I need to be out there doing something, whether it's outside or, um, I, you know, I got wind of an opportunity at Somerset. Uh, again, a long story short, but when Andy Hurry was here a long time ago, he was just about to, oh, he'd been the fitness coach for quite a while um, and was looking to take on the second team role. He mentioned to me, and this was before I went to Derby, mind, that oh, there might be a job for you in the future. Um, and coincidentally, as things transpired, when I came back to the area uh, in 2005, Andy left to go to Dubai. Um, and I'd just come back to the club uh, or been back around the club in sort of a second team physio capacity, helping out. I'd done some qualifications in that, uh, certainly not to a physio extent, but in sports therapy. Um, and I did that for about 10 days before taking on the second team. So it was about putting myself in a position, being in the right place at the right time. Hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, the rest is history. So I sort of, well, I'd done some coaching. I fell in love with coaching, actually. A friend of mine, uh, Mustafa Sheikh, I uh, was the headmaster at Eastover School in Bridgewater. And yeah. He asked me to come in and do some um, do some all multi-sport coaching, really. Um, and it was at the same time I was doing some mortgage stuff. I was back associated with Bridgewater Cricket Club as player coach there. Uh, and I found it incredibly rewarding. I didn't think I would. Uh, it was working really low level, you know, young kids, ABC stuff. Uh, but I can remember one young lad who was having some difficulties he really connected with me. So every lunchtime we spent time and we'd play football and we'd do some balance and coordination. And after about two weeks, his growth was exponential. It was ridiculous how much he grew in this two weeks. And initially I was like, what am I doing? It's like babysitting. You know, yeah. my right. And by the end of it, as I say, the experience really had an impact on me. It was quite profound. Um, and it all sort of came at the right time for me. So I had an opportunity to come back to Somerset and, um, and as I say, I was thankful to Brian Rose, but it's also the fact that he gave me the opportunity to go, all right, find your own feet. Um, you know, he had bigger things to worry about, the first team and the transition that the club yeah. went through at that time. 
and I could just run the second team. And, you know, it was a tough... We had Caddy in the second team at that time, Stephen Jones, Ben Phillips. We had uh, Keith Parsons, Ian Blackwell, you know, lots of guys mm. that were coming towards the back end of their careers or frustrated. So as a baptism of fire and guys that I played with, having to try and manage them, and, and I haven't got a clue what I was doing, but it was an incredible learning environment um, and ignited a passion for helping people. So how long did you, did you remain as second team coach then at, at Somerset before you moved on and were appointed uh, so head, I did, head coach? Uh, oh, till, probably about till 2013, I think. Mm. So we had a restructure when Dave Nosworthy was here, Andy Harry was here. Um, and so I moved then to bowling coach um, and first team assistant coach. Uh, Andy moved to academy director, second team coach. Um, and Nos, Dave Nos, where they had more of a hands-on with the first team as well. So we had a bit of a reshuffle then. Yeah. Um, and so did that for three or four years and then took over in 2017-18 or 2018 as head coach. But, but that, that must have been a, a huge feather in your cap to be appointed, you know, coach of Somerset because apart from anything else, Somerset are one of the biggest counties, I would have thought. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm biased because I live in Somerset and I've been connected to them, but... You know, I mean, they are. They're, they've been consistently good. I mean, going right back to the days of both of them and, and Viv Richards and what have you, haven't they? Yeah, it was an incredibly proud moment. It's something, you know, when I started the journey, I just wanted to be the best academy director in the country. I wanted to create an environment almost, if you go back a decade or more, Man United were this massive club, had a global, global brand. And if you were a young player in deepest, darkest Cornwall and you got invited for a trial to Man United, you're going... Mm. Uh, my philosophy was all around right. I want to create that I want to create the best academy in the country where people are like I want to go there how do I get to be on the Somerset Academy and so I wasn't really I was incredibly aspirational but in a different way um, and then after a while I was like actually you know this is where I see myself going I wanted to be a head coach I want to you know create something incredibly special here achieve something that's never been done before uh, and again all I did was you know ultimately keep my head down work hard and um, and I believe your reputation goes before you. If you're doing a good job, it's for other people to recognise that and talk about it. And, um, I was, you know, like I said, we'd, we'd had a couple of tough years uh, and the club felt they wanted to go in a different direction uh, and they felt I was the person to take them in that different direction. So I was, yeah, incredibly proud to take on the mantle. Right, more music from Jason now. And this time we've got Man in the Middle from Michael Jackson. A change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good, gonna make a difference, gonna make it right. As I turn up the collar, on my favorite winter coat, this wind is blowing my mind. I see the kids in the street. Not enough to eat Who am I to be blind Pretending not to see them need A son of disregard A broken bottle top And a one-man soul They follow each other on the wind You know Cause they got nowhere to go That's why no one yet to know
Michael Jackson there and man in the middle. So, so during your time as, as head coach then, uh, what have Somerset won? It's not a trick question either. So we've, yeah, well, we won, won 2019, we won uh, Royal London, so we won the 50-over competition. So it's the first trophy we'd won in 15 years. Um, so for myself, again, incredibly proud, but yeah. also incredibly proud of the players. And one of the things that will live long in my memory was being at Lord's and actually, we talk about how passionate, how connected we are to the supporters, how knowledgeable they are. But to see what it meant to the people that had come to Lords, and to see what it meant afterwards, the fallout from that, and people uh, coming to the ground when we present paraded the trophy. Um, you know, to think that you've helped in a small way to, I guess, you know, put a smile on people's faces mm, and mm. really feel that they're part of that journey. Um, you know, to see Hildy hit the winning runs and then, you know, I think all the guys went down and I stayed on the balcony and there was a moment where Hildy's coming off um, and not that he acknowledges me, but we connect uh, and to see what it meant to him. Mm. At the club, scored a lot of, you know, a lot of individual accolades, scored a lot of runs, lots of hundreds. Um, but so to get that first trophy um, for a long time as a club yeah, um, and I get to have that responsibility as head coach, you know, it's a great moment. Um, I guess the frustration is within since 2018, we've had a lot of opportunities as well and not quite won another trophy. So uh, there's still some work to be done as well. I, I mean, I suppose I wouldn't be underestimating when I say it must be extremely frustrating, the fact that you've come so close on, I don't know, the last four or five years, it seems as though we were so close, certainly on the, the one-day jobs anyway, and uh, or the 2020, I mean, not the one-day. Um, yeah. And yet, you know, so close and yet so far sort of thing, which I would have thought was extremely frustrating. It is, but it's, it's an incredible driver as well because you want to keep putting yourself in those positions. I'd much prefer it that we're in that position where we get an opportunity to win than actually, you know, how we finished the year last year where you fall away and you've got, you know, you're just playing them. Hmm. Uh, you know, I want every game to mean something. I want the value of what we do to transcend much further than what we do on the park. Um, so the fact that we keep putting ourselves in those positions you know, that's a huge success to a lot of people connected to the club, you know, the, the fact we're doing it with a lot of homegrown players, you know, so the pathway has been incredibly productive for us, you know, and again, the environment you create with all that. So there's a bigger picture at stake, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and with that, we're producing international cricketers, franchise cricketers, you know, there's lots of positives happening and I would much rather us be in that position than not competing at all. So, um, I guess the frustration short-lived and then it's recognition of actually, right, this is just driving us further and further forward to keep putting ourselves in that position. Because one of the things that excites me is actually when you do win, actually, right, how do you win after winning? Hmm. Uh, and we didn't get that opportunity. So we won the 50 over comp in 2019 and we didn't get the opportunity for obvious reasons because of COVID to go again in 2020. Um, but these things happen. So now, what would be your, your main... Um... You know, target is it more the county championship or or the, the limited over games? It's everything. I think you know I'm not going to be, I guess, naive enough to go right. We're just targeting this. We're not. I think one thing I've learned over the last twelve months, particularly, is um, winning trophies are a byproduct of what you do. I think we got a little bit carried away with trying to win, and we need to go back to right establishing really good processes, delivering our skills day in day out better than the opposition. Um, so having 11 players that we're trying to upskill to be better than the 11 we play against. And I think that's where we've changed tack slightly this winter, or we've evolved. 
um, because we were getting the expectation is for us to win every game, and that's great, and that's the expectation out there. Yeah. But inwardly, we have to concentrate on the things we can control, the processes that are going to allow us to do that. So, um, every game matters to me. I want to win every single game that we play, or certainly give us the best chance to do that. And if the opposition play better than us, so be it. Yeah, yeah, quite. So, um, looking looking forward, I mean, we all hoped that COVID was sort of beginning to go away, but it's certainly come back with a great vengeance, certainly as we speak today anyway. Um, but, I mean, you know, are the team going on a, a pre-season tour or anything abroad or what? I suppose that's, that's in the offing with COVID as well. Yeah, I think that we have to plan for best-case scenario uh, and be prepared for worst-case scenario. Um, so we're carrying on, uh, I wouldn't say as normal, but we're working towards a normal pre-season. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no doubt that at some point normality will come back. Um, so we'll plan, um, and if there's finances are available, we'll look to go away. I think having that competitive cricket and getting guys out of the environment will be incredibly valuable um, come March, because I think, you know, we're all finding it incredibly difficult, mm. uh, whether we're working or not, whether you're getting to do, I guess, live your life, um, with the daily routine that we're used to. Um, I think the mental challenges for all of us and COVID and the constant barrage of it being in our faces is challenging for everybody. Mm. Uh, but for me, to try and get the guys out of the environment, to try and do uh, play some competitive cricket before we start in earnest um, would be hugely beneficial. Uh, but I think, you know, like a lot of things, come post-Christmas, it'll be a day-to-day monitoring. More music now and Snow Patrol chasing cars.
Patrol there and chasing cars. Um, you've been lucky enough to re-sign some contracts with several of the first team squad, which is a a, a great sort of um, base for the for the team going going forward. Um, did you get involved much in that? I mean, was it a question of persuading them, or do they all fall over themselves to sign again? Oh, look, I think hopefully the you know the players are desperate to stay here. So myself and Andy spend a lot of time. You know, discussing recruitment, what it looks like, shaping the squad. Um, you know, whether it's for years to come. You know, so if I move on or get the sack and someone inherits it, there's still a really good squad in place for someone to bring in um, to inherit. So I think we're constantly communicating with the players, looking to. You know, we want to sign up the guys that are really contributing and part of what we're trying to achieve. And you know, it's testament to the work that Andy's done that we've. You know, we're in a position where a lot of guys are re-signing. Mm. You know, they they want to stay here, which I think is really important. The landscape's changing, certainly the cricketing landscape and franchise cricket, domestic cricket. There's a lot more moving of players happening uh, than there ever has been before. Uh, and I guess, you know, certain areas, there's more finances in the game as well than ever before. So um, we're hoping that people's heads don't get turned by that. Uh, and I think we're going to create the right environment where they want to stay and evidence suggests right now we're doing that. And the last of Jason's musical choices is Verve and Bittersweet Symphony.
Sweet Symphony. Um, what about a foreign player? Have you got anybody lined up? Uh, we, we're working on it. Again, it's difficult. One, because of the Future Tours programme. You know, a lot of the cricket boards are trying to make up for lost time. Um, so their international schedule is hectic over the next 24 months or so. Uh, so it's seeing who's available, when they're available. Uh, but we're definitely looking to recruit overseas players. Uh, and I guess the challenge will be then getting them in the country. Yeah. Uh, depending on things transpire after Christmas but uh, I suppose looking upon it you know in football managers come and go and they get the sack frequently um, certainly in your case or in cricket you know that that's thankfully not the sort of the, the, the model that they use really I mean you don't you don't generally hear of um, first team coaches getting the sack that often in cricket yeah I think it's I mean more and more I mean inevitably it'll come to an end I think all head coaches know that there's a shelf life with what you do you know, I'm constantly trying to reinvent myself and making sure the team's moving forward. And if it comes a day where I don't feel that's happening, I'll step aside. And if the club feels a day that's happening, they'll remove me, no doubt. So I think it's becoming more and more the expectation is to win for everybody. And it's not realistic. You know, you've got 18 teams trying to win 
three trophies. Mm. Um, so the competition's great. It's not as easy as, uh, I guess, and it shouldn't be easy, so that's fine. Um, so, you know, I'm thankful that I've got incredible backing here right now. Uh, that may change, and I'm comfortable with that. But I think, I think the way cricket's going, uh, more and more we'll see that I think there'll be a more turnover of staff. Um, hopefully it doesn't become like football, but I just think the expectation from all clubs and supporters, and I guess as the new generation of supporters come through and they want instant success, um, it may present more challenges for the head coaches and directors of cricket moving forward. Um, finally, I've got to mention Will Smead. I mean, he certainly seems to have been the find of the season. Well, and Tom Banton, I suppose, to be fair. But, um, you know, have they just come through normal sort of channels and they, they, they're local lads and they've, they've joined Somerset? Yeah, Smead in particular. I mean, Will's been in the system since he was probably eight, uh, eight years old. Really, yeah. Uh, Bant's a little bit. Bant's originally uh, was from Warwickshire, uh, but schooled here, so... Spent two, two and a half years on the academy um, before coming on to the professional staff. So slightly different journeys. Um, but again, it's one thing we're certainly ambitious and one of our aims is to produce homegrown talent as much as possible. Um, really connect them to the club and what it is to represent Somerset. Um, and they've had, you know, phenomenal starts to their careers. You know, Smeedy last year, leading run scorer in the blast, did well in the hundreds. So, you know, started to establish himself and make a name for himself. Uh, certainly in white ball cricket and similar bands in you know 2019 it would have been he was phenomenal in the blast with Baba as an mm. open partnership and has shown glimpses on the international stage and last year of what a prodigious talent he is um, and now we'll try and find some consistency for him so both incredibly exciting both you know what they can do with the cricket ball is you know really exciting for people to watch uh, moving forward well moving forward let's hope for a um three trophies at least um you know i mean I'm, I'm not greedy I th i'm quite happy with that and uh hopefully a visit from somerset to north Perot as well so put that on your schedule please and uh <laughs> i can only thank you ever so much for joining us uh jason it's been it's been good it's been interesting and you know we want to do more about cricket um as a radio station i mean obviously we're small we're only a uh, a community station and as such it's difficult you know because you know, cricket and football is such a huge, you know, um, commercial aspect to it, and everybody's looking to get money out of it. And we haven't got any money. We're just a little community-run station. But at the same time, we haven't done bad, and we're getting quite a few sort of interesting people on board. But um, I'm hoping that you know one day maybe we'll be able to come down and do some 2020 stuff as well down there, which would be good. But in the meantime, thank you very much for joining us, and um, I've no doubt we'll talk again soon. And uh, best of luck for the new season. Appreciate that, Eddie. Thank you very much. Lovely job. Thanks, mate. You've been listening to Jason Kerr in conversation with Eddie Hopper on Three Valleys Radio.